0: AJ's here. Yeah. Nice.
1: Was it was I not supposed to be?
0: No, I, I just was I was counting up how many people were gonna be here in my head and I forgot.
1: Don't you forget about me.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs>
2: This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript the Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS in-depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Codeship.io. Don't you wish you could simply deploy your code every time your tests pass? Wouldn't it be nice if it were tied into a nice continuous integration system? That's Codeship. They run your code. If all your tests pass, they deploy your code automatically for fuss free continuous delivery. Check them out at Codeship.io. Continuous delivery made simple. This episode is sponsored by Watch Me Code. Have you been looking for regular, high quality video screencasts on building JavaScript done by someone who really understands JavaScript? Derek Bailey's videos cover many of the topics we talk about on JavaScript Jabber and are up on the latest tools and tricks you need to write great JavaScript. He also covers language fundamentals, so there's plenty for everybody. Looking over the catalog, I got really excited, and I can't wait to watch them all. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash watchmecode. This episode is sponsored by Component 1, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to Widgmo.com and check them out. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 119 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Aaron Frost. Hello. AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from Provo just for a little longer. Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv, that's me. And uh, we have a special guest this week, Joe Marini. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming, especially on such short notice.
3: Yeah, not a problem at all. Glad to be here.
2: We brought you on today to talk about Chrome apps. I'm a little curious, do Chrome apps and Chrome plugins work the same way?
3: Do Chrome apps and Chrome plugins work the same way? I guess there's some similarities in that they both use Chrome as their (laughs) underlying platform, right? So you write them the same way, right? They're written using JavaScript and HTML and CSS. Chrome plugins, however, have a different... They're kind of focused a little bit differently, right? They're focused on actually modifying the way the browser itself works, right? So you can do things like hook into how things download and modify contents of pages and so on, whereas Chrome apps are intended to be just independent of the browser itself. They just use the runtime as you know their underlying engine, but it, just like any other app would use like .NET or Java as a, as a runtime. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay,
0: And also, I'm going to add, and this is me being nitpicky, they're called Chrome extensions, but yeah. Yes, you're right, Chrome extensions. Yes. That's for Chuck.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, there's a lot of terminology around this stuff.
0: Yeah. So I built a few extensions and a few apps, and I, I like the way that Jill said it. The extensions are just to modify your experience in the browser, whereas the Chrome apps are an app that runs in a completely different window. Like it doesn't have a tab. It doesn't have like a, a an omnibar where you type in search. It's it's its own app that's right. running in Chrome. It looks like a native app but the Chrome runtime is its runtime and it's sandboxed the same way that a web page is sandboxed and yeah. and so it's 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 like safer to install than a native app that has like user level security and stuff. So those are kind of the differences between Chrome apps and extensions. But yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: so with the Chrome app, you kind of get the granular security like you would on an Android app where it says, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And you can say yay, nay.
3: So Chrome apps are distributed through the Chrome web store the same way that Android apps are distributed through Play. And so the mechanism is more or less the same. You In your Chrome app manifest, you specify what permissions you want the app to be able to have. And when the user goes to install it, they're presented with a very similar dialogue saying, here's what the app can do, here's the sites the app can communicate with, that kind of thing, and then the user can make the decision whether they want to install it or not.
0: One thing I found out is that Chrome Apps auto-update, which is sweet unless you change those security. So, like, if you install and all you need is their email address, and then all of a sudden you're like, I would like to talk to the serial port. Like, it doesn't auto-update anymore until they yes, approve, right. approve, like... The- Those further security. So, like, and that's identical to Android as well, right? Like, Android apps
3: auto-update unless you change your your manifest, right? Unless you change permissions, right? Unless you exactly right. And it's important. There are some there are some permissions that uh, Chrome apps can request that are not considered necessarily high risk. And I don't have those off the top of my head right in front of me. But there's a few small ones where a Chrome app can. I think I think extensions might have the same thing where, you know, you can say I got to do something that's low risk and that's not considered a, a necessary boundary. But the other nice thing about Chrome apps is you can do things like request optional permissions. So, for example, if you don't, if your app doesn't depend on doing a certain high risk thing, you can make that permission optional. And then at runtime, you can present the user with an additional piece of UI that says, oh, and I also want to be able to write to everything on the hard drive. And the user can say, you know, no, but then your app can still run, which is nice. That is cool. Yeah. So is, um, do we, are we assuming that people know what Chrome apps are? Should I give a little brief overview of the history of Chrome apps and like why, we, why we started them? Yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, please. Yeah, sure. So right around, I would say, the end of 2011, 2012, we started looking at the possibility of using Chrome as a standalone runtime for apps. And we used to have these things called legacy packaged apps in Chrome. You can think of those as version one of what Chrome apps became. And they didn't have their own windows. You know, they didn't have a lot of things that modern Chrome apps today have. And the reason we built them was because extensions were only got you so far as a developer. You know, we wanted to be able to be able to develop apps that ran offline. And, you know, a few years ago, doing offline apps was kind of hard. And not, it wasn't always predictable in a, a way that made sense for all developers. So we started looking at how can we make a experience for developers where they can build applications that run across multiple OSs in a predictable way that work offline by default and give developers ways to do things that web apps don't didn't at the time have and in many cases still don't. For example, you know, using Bluetooth or the USB port or you know, writing to files or you know, using the network or you know lots of things that developers would like to be able to do but can't. And so right around the end of 2011, we started saying, well, maybe we can just package Chrome apps in their own runtime. And this was right around the time when Chromebooks started getting more and more popular. And we needed a runtime that gave developers a way for them to build native apps on Chromebooks. And, you know, this is the way that Google builds its own apps on Chromebooks. There is no super secret runtime that only we get to use. You know, it's the way that we build them is the way that everybody else builds them. And so that's we we first launched these, I think, in... I think we had our first code labs in the beginning of 2012, and the response was pretty good. You know, we got a bunch of developers in, uh, excited about it, and I think we shipped the runtime officially in September of that year. And it's been uh, it's been pretty great. Um, it's so far the response has been pretty good. The Chrome Web Store has thousands of these things now. Uh, there's more being added every day, and uh, so far we were we're pretty pleased with the success that they've had.
2: So you said that they run or that you write them with JavaScript, correct? Yeah, right. So one of the ones that I've used is actually a remote desktop one. Sure. Yes. C- can you actually do that in JavaScript?
3: Yeah, no. So there's there's a technology that Google has built into Chrome called Native Client. And it's a way of securely running native C and C++ code inside a browser. And up until Chrome, I think 35 or 34, I don't remember exactly which version exactly, Native client only worked in Chrome apps. Uh, we've since expanded it to work in the Chrome browser itself using something called portable native client. It's a way of taking native C++ code and running it in a sandbox environment, just the same way that you would run, you know, JavaScript. Or so it's it's kind of like a, akin to building a like a Netscape plugin, right? Using NPAPI. Um, so you
0: you guys just barely made that change then, because Chrome's only on thirty six.
3: Yeah, so well native client's been around for a long time itself, back in Chrome Apps. And I think it existed for let's see, ever since Chrome Apps started. But the pinnacle, the the, the portable native client, has only been around for a few versions now. Gotcha. Yeah. But you're right. You can't I mean, I suppose it it, it might be possible to write it in JavaScript these days, because we do have APIs now for doing things like you know, using WebRTC to grab the media stream of the screen and so on. But I don't know if it's fully possible to do a desktop sharing client. I haven't tried it. But there are ways to do things like get media streams. But the one you're referring to, there are Chrome apps that do this. And I believe they use the C++ native client approach.
2: Mm -hmm. Is that something I didn't quite catch if it was available for everybody?
3: Yeah, anyone can. Yeah. There's actually a game on a Chrome Web Store called Cracking Sands Racing that uses this for performance. Most developers use it for performance reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, there's you know C plus plus code just going to run faster than well, although these days that's getting less and less true. But in many cases, the C plus algorithms are going to run faster. But it, a lot of developers also use it because they just happen to have a lot of C code. You know, if you're if you're a games developer, chances are you've got some C code laying around that does certain certain things, and they don't want to rewrite that in JavaScript. So.
0: So I think the first time I, I heard about Pinnacle was at I.O. a few years ago. And mm-hmm. it was interesting to me because I was like, wait a minute, you just killed the uh, one of the things we love about the browser, which is the security. But then I I, I studied uh, the compile process. They take your C and C++ code and they put it through a special compile process that mm-hmm. disallows, like, jump and disallows yep. any sort of thing that would allow you to break outside of the Chrome sandbox. Yeah. So you still, even though you're using... Native code that's super fast. You're not breaking the Chrome sandbox. It's actually running inside the Chrome sandbox, which I thought was interesting. Yep, and yep. Um, people don't have like native access to your computer like they would if you install a native, a native app. So, right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's all, it's all
3: sandboxed the way that other apps are sandboxed.
0: So how long have you been on the uh, Chrome apps team? Since I got here,
3: uh, I've been at Google for about three years. And when I first joined, um, I've been on the Chrome team you know since I, since I joined and uh, the Chrome apps efforts started sh- uh, shortly after I joined so I joined here in November of 2011 so right around then was when the very first early efforts of Chrome apps uh, first got going so you know I, I worked closely with the engineering team to bring external developers in and get them excited about the platform and help them out with their technical issues so I've been here
4: since the beginning for it I hear it's really easy to get a job at Google. Is that right?
3: Oh, um, All you got to do is send us an email. Well, just, they just let anyone in anymore. Oh, yeah. No, it's yeah, yeah. No, it's a myth. It's, you know, it's... Come on. Just, everybody, just come on in. That's
2: funny. <laughs> so what kinds of things do you see people doing with Chrome apps? Um, are there specific types of apps that seem to really lend themselves better to this?
3: Yeah. So it's interesting. When we first started going and talking about Chrome apps to people, the way that I would explain the concept was... I would break it down into buckets, I would say, because the developers would sometimes ask me, like, why would I want to do this? And I had to have a good answer. And and the way that I explained it to the developers was, think of it as as different tiers of user engagement. So web apps are great, because you can do lots of things cross-browser, and they're becoming more and more capable all the time. But your web app is only alive and engaging with the user when it's up and running in a tab, Right. When the tab's not running and your your site is not in the in the browser, the user is just simply not interacting with your with your app. And the next step up from there is a browser extension, right, like a Chrome extension. The nice thing about Chrome extensions is that even when your app is not loaded into a browser tab, you still have the ability to interact with the user, right? Your extension can you know see you know content coming and going. So, for example, if you're a shopping application, if you have an online shopping comparison app. Um, You can see that people are looking at products on a certain website and say, hey, you know, it's some price comparisons. Here's what it costs over on this website. So even though your web app is not running, you're still engaging with the user. The problem is when the browser is not running, right, that extension is not running. So then that engagement stops at that boundary. But Chrome apps have the ability to be constantly engaged with the user. So even when the app itself is not running, when you register your Chrome app, when you build your Chrome app and you, you register for certain system events, the Chrome runtime realizes that. And so when the system starts up, Chrome starts up, the, the Chrome runtime starts up. So the Chrome runtime is always there listening in the background. And so you can do things like send a Google Cloud message to your app and your app will actually wake up and run. And you can do things like, you know, engage with the user at that point. So for, for developers who want to build apps that have that higher engagement model where, you know, even if my app isn't running, I can still interact with the user on certain important events you know, Chrome apps provide that ability, and some apps just simply lend themselves well to being outside the browser. You know, so for example, you take a a common application like a spreadsheet, right? Why do you have an omnibar in a spreadsheet? What does a back button mean when you're in a spreadsheet? It doesn't really mean anything, right? It's just that UI mm-hmm. in the browser. What does the what does the bookmarks bar mean when you're in a spreadsheet? So you've got all this you know browser UI that has no real relation to your app, and so you want to get that all out of the way. So certain apps that have a high level of user interaction where as a user like i'm in that app for hours at a time whether it's a spreadsheet or a word processing app or an IDE or you know other kinds of apps that you you just want to ha- focus on your user experience it makes more sense to just have an app experience where you know you're not uh, you're not competing with the browser for the user's attention so that's that's kind of how i explain it to developers
0: i like that you can tell them to start when the when the user logs in so it can run like separate of the browser and um, you get that, you know, you get a real kind of a natively install feeling when you're as a user experience, not as a developer, but as a user experience. So I love what you can do. I mean, there's a, there's one of the, the GDEs is writing a, um, a Chrome app. What is it called? It's like Chrome, Chrome My Admin because he's using it to a Chrome app to be his MySQL Admin. Mm-hmm. and it's cool that he can connect into does it use like ODBC connections or how is he how is he doing that
3: It's up to him probably I mean there's all kinds of like you know low level network connections that you can do if you want you can you can just open raw sockets from within a Chrome app mm-hmm. um, so he it, there could be any one of a number of ways that he's uh, you know accomplishing that you know one of the nice things about Chrome apps is also we give you a, um, a control which is essentially the Chrome browser so you can have the Chrome browser. You know, not I mean not the extension, not just the rendering surface, not the extension runtime, and so on. But you can actually embed a fully functional Chrome HTML5 rendering surface inside your app. So it kind of gets a little inception-like, right? Where you can embed Chrome within Chrome, you know, and and build. In fact, one of our sample apps is building a browser using the the web control. Um. So there's all there's all kinds of things. Yeah, it's it's neat, but it's uh it, it, there's there's all kinds of things that you can do inside a Chrome app. I'm just I'm I'm actually kind of surprised every now and then. I look on the on the Chrome Web Store and I'm like, oh, that's an app now. You know, oh, that's an app now. It seems to be getting used for some some uh, some interesting scenarios. So
0: yeah, can I interject? And this yeah. to be like t- totally self-serving. A few sure. years ago, I gave a talk at Fluent, where my friend Dave and I we built a Chrome app, and we wanted to just kind of show off how cool Chrome and Node and Angular were, and all three being kind of our platform of choice. And we build an app that uses Chrome's speech recognition API. Mm -hmm. It listened to our voices. Anytime we said the word um, so, like, or uh, it would send a signal to the serial port, and then we had a device attached to our USB that when it would receive an S at a certain baud rate, it would uh, shock us. And so, it was like, it was like a therapy app to stop saying, I'm so like" girl when we were speaking. And we actually got Nick Zakis up on stage to shock me. And we got Igor from the Angular team up to sh- and he actually got shocked. But, um. I mean, it was just—it was just a stupid like example of look how the cool stuff you can do with um, a Chrome app with the web technology that we all love. So yeah, I'm a it's, I'm a huge fan of Chrome apps. It's a
3: great—it's great to know that, that our technology is, is being used in such creative fashion. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I know that's why we go to work every day, bro. <laughs> yeah, no, this is fantastic. I just—I can, I can go back to the to the Chrome team now and say our work here is done.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now, how how can we well, make um, people easier?
1: So it didn't um, work on Aaron, though.
0: No, uh, <laughs> no, I know he's
2: not yelling when you were um, talking. Um, no. Yeah,
0: <laughs> no, you should check it out. I'll put it in the show notes. It was a fun talk.
3: Okay, I will, I will definitely a take talk. a look at that. That's uh, that's great. I'm sure that I'm sure the team will get a will get a big kick out of that as well.
0: Yeah, actually, Paul, there's a video of Paul Irish getting shocked. If, really? Okay, I'll, I'll put right. that
3: in the show notes too. Kind of funny how he neglected to mention that when he came back from the show, but. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. I think I may have to. Uh, I don't know. I may have to tweet about that or something. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, it was so cool.
2: I am wondering: Can you write apps in CoffeeScript or Dart or some of the other transpiled languages?
3: Yeah, actually, you can. So if you're going to do it in CoffeeScript, uh, you know clearly you have to you have to compile it to JavaScript first. The work on Dart is ongoing. We actually are working towards getting native Dart support for Chrome apps. I don't know when that's going to happen, but every time I talk to the Dart team, they're like, yep, we're going to do it. You can do it in Dart today. Again, you got to do the compiling thing. In fact, I don't know if you guys saw, we recently shipped a uh, IDE called the Chrome Dev Editor, yeah um, and that's actually built in Dart. So it, it is possible. I think currently all the language bindings have to be in JavaScript. I don't think they've pushed the endpoints through the IDL to JavaScript just yet. I mean, to Dart just yet. So Um, they're using DartJS. I believe that, yeah, I haven't actually looked at their build process, but I believe that's what they're doing. Because I don't think that we've shipped the Dart VM in the native Chromium browser just yet. My understanding is that that's happening, that the work is being done. I I just don't know what the timeline is. But it'll be a great day when you can do that. I mean, when you can build, you know, native apps using Dart, it's a, you know, that's going to be a – That's that's a day I'm very much looking forward to.
2: So one thing that's interesting, we were talking to Dave Thomas on the Ruby Rogues podcast, and uh-huh. he mentioned that the browser is dead and that we're just kind of <laughs> perpetuating it with our current web development practices and things. I'm curious if you feel like this is kind of a step toward that, where we move beyond – uh, the traditional browser and into a, an arena where it's more about the app and less about the platform
3: well I, first I, I fully disagree that the browser is dead you know the I, I don't think the browser is anywhere close to being dead, but I, I do think so let me one of the things I want to make clear is that just because Google is is developing Chrome apps doesn't mean that we think that the browser is going to go away I mean one of the one of the reasons we're developing chrome apps and and every time we do something, like put an API into Chrome Apps. We do it with the eye that you know. One day, hopefully, the stuff that we're doing is going to be standardized. You know, today, you know, we don't have you know native USB access in the browser, and you know, until the, such day that the W3C or WG gets around to standardizing that, you know, that that'll be great. But we don't we don't have that right now. But that doesn't mean the need isn't there. So I I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a step away from the browser. To me, it's more about expanding the opportunity pool for what developers can do. There's lots of things that web developers can't do today without writing native apps. And there's really no reason why they shouldn't be able to address certain scenarios. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the way I see Chrome apps is that it's not, it's not an either or thing. And I think that there are sometimes, you know, people with, you know, ulterior motives who want to portray things that way. But I, I, I don't agree that the, that the browser is dead or that the web is dead or that the web is dying or anything like that. I think that Chrome apps is a, is a step towards telling web developers, Hey, using your existing skills, you can now address scenarios that you couldn't before without writing native code. And, you know, hopefully what we're doing will be standardized. We've already, in fact, we've already had initial talks with Mozilla about this stuff. You know, we've, there's no reason, for example, why our manifest files need to be different between Chrome apps and, you know, the, the apps, the the stuff that they're doing over there. So Hopefully, you know that will lead somewhere towards standardization. But I don't really see this as a step away from the browser. I, I just think it's a it's a way of expanding what can be done.
1: So here's a question: Since you brought in Mozilla, and I've I've been playing with uh, Firefox OS recently, and I I love it. What uh, is there is there like a clear path for having Chrome apps get into the the Android store in the future, so that that you can have that seamless experience? On mobile, just like you can, because because that's the nice thing about the Firefox apps is that they run yeah. on the Firefox phone just as yeah. well as the browser situation.
3: Yeah, we don't. So the, when you say clear path, I mean it's something we've talked about. Right now, the way that you would do that is to build a Cordova app, which you know is essentially PhoneGap, right? We've mm-hmm. we've been working with the PhoneGap folks over at Adobe, and we have a te- we actually have a team of people up in Waterloo that are building Chrome apps plugins to the Cordova framework. So that, that sounds like that would be pretty simple. For the moment, that's the way it works. You, you, If you want to build a Chrome app that runs on native, then currently the way that you do that is through Cordova. Obviously, you know, there's there's challenges there, right? I mean, we can't, we don't have, we only have control over Android. We don't have control over, you know, iOS or Windows Phone or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that would be up to those guys if they, if they wanted to, you know, standardize on some kind of app framework using you know HTML and javascript and then have some runtime but that's you know i i don't see that in the imminent future but for the moment if you really want to build a native app that runs you know a chrome app that runs on mobile as a native app then cordova is currently the the solution for that we've looked at ways that we can make chrome apps run at least within android as native i mean it's it's something that we've thought about we don't have anything you know to show for it at the moment but it's it's
0: we've had those discussions yeah so when i was a few years ago i was like wow google's got like the two largest platforms around in chrome and android that's how are they going to ever marry these two cuz like it's not it's not cool for them to compete against themselves so every time someone's talking i'm always listening about what's google going to do to marry their, their two platforms mm-hmm. and so the cca the, Cro- the cordova chrome apps was kind of an announcement if you mm-hmm. you know if, if you will but i i can't wait till someone's like dude you can The Chrome OS um, and having Android runtime in Chrome OS—that was cool. That was a Mm. big announcement. Yeah, but having a Chrome runtime or allowing my my Chrome app to run as a as an Android app is another announcement I think most people are waiting for. Or I think that's the only way you could marry Android and Chrome is by letting Chrome apps run on Android.
3: Yeah, these are the kinds of of discussions that we've had internally. But uh, you know, at the moment, yeah, Cordova is the way to do it at the moment. We we did demonstrate specific. You know, certain specific Android apps running on Chrome OS. And that's an interesting experiment that we're running. We're trying to see if that's actually something that makes sense for developers and something that they respond to. Um, so that's, you know, another potential way of doing things. You know, at the end of the day, we want developers to do us to, to build great experiences using whatever language and platform they happen to like, right? You know, I don't, I don't necessarily see the two platforms as, as competitive with each other. I mean, you know, one of the things I, I always tell the guys internally is that, look, we could, we could build the world's greatest web based app platform and solve all the problems and do everything native code can do. There would still be people who chose to write native apps. I mean, you know, there's there's always going to be people who like who just like native native code. There's always gonna be people who like Java and dot and, and net and, and whatever else. And so I don't think you're ever gonna have a situation where one just simply wins out over the others. But the question is how can we give each audience, you know, the capabilities that they need to do to get their jobs done in the way that they best know how.
2: Yeah. I have another question, and that is, yeah. how does writing an app with a Chrome apps system differ from writing apps on Node.js? So, for example, the Atom editors is basically written on Node.js, and mm-hmm. so its runtime is a JavaScript runtime. It's just yes.
0: different. Node WebKit you're talking about? Yeah. The Node WebKit written, yeah. Oh yeah. So I,
3: I'll have to be honest. I haven't really used the Node webkit solution, but there are actually are other frameworks who do this as well, right? I think Sencha has one. You know, there's also the Chromium embedded framework, which is by the way how Adobe builds their brackets um, tool. So there are other engines out there that uh, you know provide a way for people to build you know nativeish apps using uh, web technologies. You know, fundamentally, there's similarities in that they use a JavaScript runtime, they use, you know, HTML as their front end, they've got various API's for poking through to the system and so on. So in that respect, they're not all that different. I think the key differences will probably be in, you know, the way that Chrome just various idiosyncrasies with its security model, perhaps, because, you know, we implement CSP, uh, which is um, the content security policy in Chrome apps um so that's probably one key difference um another key difference is that you know the way that apps are installed and used on the user's machine is via the Chrome web store you know we don't we don't make you write a installer package which you do with some of these other packages so those are probably the the main differences they 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 come down to things like you know details around shipping and installation and and management and that kind of stuff yeah, and sure. obviously you know you the, uh, an app built using the node WebKit solution or Chromium embedded framework is not going to run on Chrome OS because there is no native runtime there. It's just, it's just a, you know, a Chrome runtime.
0: So I think you rushed over the security model. If I was faced with like the same app, one of the Chrome app, one is a node WebKit app. I think I'd pick the Chrome app every time just because mm-hmm. I don't trust people. I don't yeah. trust people to build an app anymore where they're not going to put something on my machine. And Chrome kind of prevents that. Mm-hmm. Where Chrome apps, puts you in a sandbox where you know your tax returns in your documents folder aren't going to start getting uploaded for no reason where as yeah. a node webkit app it's running as a native app it can it can do any of the things that your your logged in user can do and so the security model I, for me is a huge difference like yeah it's not yeah. it's not negligible as a user i would i would definitely
3: pick the chrome app sure from a user's point of view absolutely i, I think you're right that the secu- we we spent a lot of time thinking about the security model we you know, one of the, that's actually one of the pillars of Chrome itself. And we, we wanted to make sure that we didn't give that up. And so in some cases, you know, it's, uh, in some cases, it, it sometimes limits what you can do with a Chrome app, but we'd rather err on the side of caution there. And just giving, so for example, one of the, one of the discussions that we went back and forth internally for a long time on was how do we give developers the ability to read and write to directories in in addition to just individual files and that was a you know that was a huge security you know discussion that we had to have for months and months until we finally found what we thought was a secure way to allow them to do it so everything that we do is bounded by that discussion you know there's always the question of like well what do we do to keep this secure and safe hmm.
0: so awesome.
2: one other thing that I'm wondering a little bit about is, is there a way to, for example, write a Chrome app that effectively extends Chrome so that you can do the other things and then have your web app take advantage of them?
3: Architecturally, Chrome apps are separate from the Chrome browser, but there is a way for Chrome extensions to communicate with Chrome apps. There is a messaging system that you can use to send data back and forth. It's not so much extending the Chrome browser. It's more like, you know, if you have an app that for some reason needs to communicate with the browser to get data for something or, you know, for, for some other purpose, there is a way to do
0: that. But there's no Chrome app way of extending Chrome itself. So one of the cool things about Chrome apps, kind of know that Chuck asked that, one of the things you could do is in Chrome apps, you can actually launch a server, an HTTP server. Yes. From inside your Chrome app. Yep. And so if you launched, uh, for example, if you install the Chrome app and you launched a server on some, you know, port that, that was yours, and then I went over to IE or Firefox and I opened up your page, if your page did a request to localhost, port, whatever, and your little server didn't have cross-origin requests turned off, like if you did a JSONP request to your local machine, you could actually serve data from a Chrome app to your local machine uh, mm-hmm. Regardless of what browser you're in, regardless of, you know what I'm saying? Like, so
4: mm-hmm.
0: you could kind of extend a browsing experience through a Chrome app in that sort as well, in that sense.
3: Yes. Yeah, it is actually it is possible to open a, a TCP port and listen for things like that. Yeah, absolutely.
2: That almost sounds meta,
4: you know?
3: kind of is. <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> yeah.
2: And my web browser gives me a way of starting up a web server that it can then browse to.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just like, don't just don't cross the streams. Dude, yeah. crossing the streams that's <laughs> crossing the streams, right? Especially if you open it up in IE. At that
0: point, all bets yeah, are no, off.
4: Don't cross. Don't ever cross the streams, man.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's cool though. A lot of some of the sucky thing is a Chrome app TCP server is it's it's not the same as like a Node server. So a lot of people are bummed that they can't kind of use the same code. But whatevs. I mean, it's a, it's a cool piece of functionality for now. Mm-hmm. So
4: I want to see, like, a full-stack app with Angular, Chrome, and Mongo. Nothing else, right? <laughs> there you go. Full stack app. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i would be the new wave of the future.
2: You know, it, it is interesting, though, that you bring that up because, effectively, you could then have an internally hosted app that, you know, just works on one machine. You could also then work out, like, if it is Mongo or something, Yeah, I guess you'd have to have MongoDB installed on your machine, but... You know, you, you could, you know, work something out so that the MongoDB is actually how the data sharing works, one way or the other. So, you know, it, Mo-
4: Mongo Chrome app, dude. Uh, it, it, yeah. It,
2: it'd be interesting.
0: Yeah. That's a huge dependency, though. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah. having laughs> have to install Mongo? Yeah. <laughs> like, one of my favorite things for Chrome apps, like, where I think they fit in the best is kind of like demolishing the current ecosphere of these. Old enterprise.NET and console Java apps that mm-hmm. you install it and you have to. So, you got like some guy who he doesn't know anything about computers other than he hits the keyboard to enter data and he, he buys some $1,200 a year piece of software to run his business and they're like, well, install.NET 3 and 4 on your machine. And an MSSQL server, like, so anytime he gets an update, he's like, he's updating these packages and he's like, what in what he doesn't know what, what any of it does other than when he clicks on the icon, it opens. And Chrome apps, I think, fill that hole nicely to say, dude, you just have to install the Chrome app and it takes care of it for you. It auto updates. There's no crappy update story like you have in these other old, I consider them ancient methodologies of of building enterprise software. And I think Chrome apps, that's where they'll get their biggest wins is by penetrating that market and updating that old ecosphere that I think is just, you know, outdated. Yeah. We actually
3: have had a lot of good conversations with companies around that about, you know, building their internal tools on top of Chrome apps. One of the things that we have to do in order to really nail that scenario, I think, is, and we're, we're kind of working on this, right now, Chrome apps kind of require that the Chrome browser be installed in your system. And, you know, as you may know, a lot of enterprises are still using a certain other browser from a few versions back.
4: He's who shall not be named?
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't say his name.
4: Um, <laughs> You'll invoke him, he'll appear. <laughs> yeah.
3: So one of the things that we're working on, again, it's, it's just, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out how, to, how best to do this is we, we've gotten the request, like, how do I install a Chrome app if I don't already have Chrome installed? And so hopefully we'll be able to address that, that question pretty soon. I don't know when, but it's something that we have definitely thought about.
0: Cool. Yeah, so
3: that's
2: awesome. So one other thing that comes to mind with this is that, you know, you have Chrome for Windows, Chrome for Mac right. OS, Chrome for yeah. Linux. Yeah. Are all of the Chrome apps completely cross-platform, or do the capabilities vary from platform to platform?
3: Well, that's the idea. The idea is that Chrome apps run the same regardless of what OS you're on. So by building a, a Chrome app, I get the same capabilities on Mac, Windows, Linux, and Chrome OS. In practice, I think there have been... Some cases where some capabilities only showed up on certain platforms, like Chrome OS, or I think, uh, or Windows first, or, or something like that. But we do our best to, to try to keep the runtime in sync across all the various OSs. So, um, as a developer, you shouldn't have to worry about well, my app is running on this OS versus that OS. In the stable channel, that's definitely the case. In the stable channel, we definitely we keep the APIs nice and sanitized across the OSs.
0: So for the uh, speaking a little bit to the Cordova Chrome apps build that you guys have going, the documentation spells out clearly which bits work both Android iOS yeah. and which bits are one or the other. So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and C- Cordova's a little bit of a different animal simply because
3: it's not really Chrome on iOS, right? It's it's their web view control Yeah. Um, which happens to be, you know, based on WebKit, but it's still not you know, proper Chrome. Yeah. So there are some things that we we don't entirely have working just yet, but that's, we do what we can to try to minimize that. But in some cases we have to work around whatever the platform limitations are.
0: It's awesome. I think we're getting close to the end. So I'm going to ask a question I've been wondering what are some of your favorite apps that the community's built? Not that you guys have built, but that you see in the community there that are built using Chrome apps or Chrome extensions? Yeah, so there's some good ones out
3: there, especially just recently. One of the um, apps that I that I think has done a really good job uh, there's a there's actually there's a calendar app called Sunrise, and uh, there's there are there are a bunch of guys based in New York, and it's a Chrome app that you know connects to your to your Google Calendar. And I think they've done a really good job with that. They've got these nice neat little features. So for example, if I type in an event and they you know it's someone's birthday and it, it detects the word birthday in the event name and it assigns an appropriate icon, like a little party hat, right? Yeah. And so it's it's really easy, even when you've got the thing scaled down to quickly see like what events are you know coming up based on what types they are. I think there was a nice little touch. So so, so that's that's actually a, a good one. I know you specifically asked like apps that we didn't build, but honestly, I'm pretty damn impressed by what the guys did on the Chrome Dev Editor. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, that's it, true. It's just it, it, I they've been working on it for so long and I actually showed a very very early version of it at IO I think last year and to see how much work that they've done you know, just in the past year on, on getting that app working, they've they've really put a lot of effort into it. So I think the Chrome Dev Editor, if you're looking for something that you know you can use to actually build apps on you know Chrome OS, it's actually a really cool app. Some of the games that are available, I, I've been I've been pretty surprised at at the quality of some of the Chrome app games. Um, you know, there's a game called Murder Files on the Chrome Web Store. That I think they did a really good job with that. The Cracking Sands guys that I talked about earlier that that did the native client stuff, that's a really cool game because it actually uses um. You can actually plug in and use your Xbox controllers. And so oh, you don't cool. you don't have to play with a with a keyboard. You can just use a real game controller because we provide a game controller API
2: in Chrome. That's awesome.
3: Yeah, it's that really neat. Awesome. I was I was really surprised yeah. that they actually I mean, it was relatively new when we put it in. And then one day I just saw a demo of it. I was like, wait, what is this? And they were like, oh yeah, we just use your game controller API. I was like, okay, that's something that you just can't do on the web today, right? That's a perfect example of of something that you just can't do. I've been getting pretty excited about some of the things that used to require desktop apps. Like there's a couple of really good video editors, like WeVideo, for example, uh, where it's a, you know, a Chrome app based video editing tool. So I've been pretty impressed by how some of the developers are closing the gap with what, you know, used to be required. Uh, It it used to require a native app to do, and now you can do as a web app. So WeVideo is a good one. Um, There's a, there's an imagery touching app called Pixlr. Uh, from Autodesk, they they did a great job on that. So I, I think apps that really are pushing the boundaries of like what you can actually do with web technology have been have been pretty uh, impressive lately.
0: That's awesome, way cool. I actually have been looking for a better calendar app, and I just installed Sunrise, and it looks pretty legit. Yeah, it is pretty legit. They did a good job on it. Yeah. yeah. So, what about like learning
4: to do Chrome apps and stuff? What are some resources that you think are awesome?
3: Yeah, so there's, well, there's the canonical developer documentation that we've got on our site. If you just go to developer.chrome.com uh, slash apps, that's really the, the best starting place. We also have a full Git repository. So if you go to github.com slash Google Chrome, uh, you'll see our repository in there where we have all the Chrome apps samples And one of the things that we've done is every time we try to, every time we add a new API, we build a sample around it. So there are samples that show how to use all the different things that we've put into the platform. I'd say those are probably the the two best places to get started. I believe that a lot of the talks that I've done at IO are probably online on YouTube. So I would, I would take a look at those as well. I'm not. Familiar with any with any third party training resources on Chrome apps yet? There might be some out there, but to get started, we've tried to make the the developer site for Chrome apps really approachable, and uh, I, I would say that's probably a good place to just to just get started. Stack Overflow is epic
0: too. I think actually, Joe, oh yeah, absolutely. you're on Stack Overflow yeah. nonstop. Yeah, we have our
3: own tag on there. If you if you go to Stack Overflow and you do a, a search on Google Chrome apps, then you'll see all the tag
2: questions. Cool. Can you talk about what's coming next with Chrome Apps? Mm -hmm.
3: Well, I mean, we're continuing to push the platform forward. We're looking at ways to add uh, new APIs. Like I mentioned earlier, we're thinking about ways that we can get Chrome Apps installed onto machines without requiring Chrome be present. The Chrome App launcher continues to get built out. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but we recently officially launched support for Linux for the Chrome App launcher, finally. Um, It's been on Mac and Windows for some time now. Um, so we're we're looking at ways that we can make the Chrome app launcher more featured and more functional. So those are, I mean, those are probably the nearer term things that we're looking at. You know, we're we're always looking at ways to just make the platform more approachable to developers and more useful. So uh, our our goal is that you should be able to cover your scenario using a Chrome app. If, if there's a scenario that you're bumping into and Chrome apps don't have the necessary APIs, we 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 always want to know about that. So those are, I think, those are some of the nearer term things that we're looking on.
2: Hmm. I'm assuming that it has all the capabilities that you would normally have, so it can reach out to third-party APIs and things like that, right?
3: Yeah, if you want to. So, when you say third-party APIs, you mean like third-party libraries, or
2: well like Dropbox or?
3: Oh, sure. Yeah, if you want to do, I mean, the, the Chrome apps can do full on, you know, XHRs and you know network communications. So, if you want to reach out to third-party services, that's perfectly fine with us.
2: Does it do um, it through XHR or does it? You can, you can, yeah, you can do XHR. You can open up a network
3: connection. You can open up a socket. I mean, it depends on however you want to communicate with somebody. Okay. If you want to do XHR, that's totally fine. You just, I mean, you need you need permission to talk to that website. Um, yes.
0: So in your manifest, you just say I want to talk to NFL.com and right. whatever.com, and and then the the cross the co- cross origin restrictions security stuff. It ignores it for those domains because. When the user installed your Chrome app, it showed them, hey, Aaron's app here needs permission right. to, to blah, blah, and blah. So yeah. when they installed, they knew you were going to get data from those domains.
2: Yep. Yeah, got it. Yep.
0: So that's actually been, it's really cool to build like mashups with Chrome apps because you just turn off your, um, you get permission to do those cross origin restriction, the, the course requests, and you're good. Mm-hmm. And then it, as long as they've logged into the, that other site, you can just make requests to that domain, and you'll get responses back. So you don't necessarily have to throw them through an, an OAuth procedure for you know the third-party site. You can just start hitting that their endpoints and getting data back. I don't know if that's kosher, but I've I've built some apps like that, and it's been super easy. Yeah,
2: very cool. All right, AJ, do you want to start us with the picks?
1: Well, yes, I do. Today, I'm going to pick Ghostbusters because. I realized that Cross the Streams is a reference to Ghostbusters. (laughs) And I've actually heard that several times. And it wasn't until today that I was like, wait a minute. That's a Ghostbusters meme.
4: (laughs) And Um, the 30th anniversary is coming up here soon.
1: Ooh, nice. Uh, They're releasing
4: it in the theaters, right?
0: No way. Yeah, I think they are.
1: Oh, man. I'm so upset I missed Jurassic Park in 3D. Hopefully I can catch Ghostbusters that way. (laughs) 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 Let's see. I'll also pick... There's a... Belkin makes a Thunderbolt hub. The nice thing about the Thunderbolt hub is that if you want to have a three-monitor setup and you don't want to pay for a Thunderbolt display, then you can take your $50 monitor... And pay the two hundred dollars for the Thunderbolt hub, and then it has a display adapter in it for one display, and so you can connect another display via Mini port or HDMI, or you could just take twice the price of your ninety-nine dollar monitor and the Belkin display, and connect another Thunderbolt monitor to your Thunderbolt monitor. This is but all because it looks really sleek. It looks really sleek, and the gigabit adapter and it works well, and I know this because Google Fiber.
4: This is because all because you don't want to upgrade your Mac, huh?
1: Wait, can the new Macs, do they have dual Thunderbolt ports? And an guess, HDMI. Of yeah. course. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah, my, Mac,
2: my MacBook Pro has two but Thunderbolt ports the thing. and an HDMI. When
1: they come out with a 2 terabyte SSD for less than $5,000, I'll jump on it.
4: You are thoroughly an Apple because you want to be able to upgrade your Mac, and that's that's not an Apple. You are not an Apple person, obviously. No,
1: I'm not. I am not an Apple person. I'm a technology (laughs) person, and it just so happens that Apple has the best offering 95% of the time. But right now, they don't have a good offering, and no one else does either, so I'm sticking with my 2012 that can support a 2-terabyte hard drive. (laughs) Because I don't want to walk around with the stupid dongle so that I can have access to the things that I want. Because the cloud is a lie. I know that Google's got Google Fiber and that makes the cloud seem like it's not a lie, but the cloud is still a lie. Just like the cake is a lie. I the hope cloud, you know. I hope you know that Steve Jobs hates you.
0: He's dead. He can hate me all he wants. Oh, harsh. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. I think that that was too soon. No matter how late you waited. <laughs>
1: yeah well anyway I I really don't believe in the cloud there are some conveniences to it but I believe in owning stuff and having it available and not having to cache it or buffer it and I like my 2 terabyte hard drive
0: I don't think the cloud believes in you either bro
1: good then we're square (laughs) Yeah. not picking the
0: cloud
1: I'm picking a 2 terabyte hard drive did I pick my docking station
2: for my Mac Book pro last time i think you did once i guess i'll go next because i, I kind of want to talk about this for just a second because <laughs> i have one of the belkin ones for my macbook pro and then i also have one that is a i don't even remember what brand but it's not belkin so i i bought them both because i have a standing desk and then i have the desk that i sit at most of the time and you know i'm going to start spending more time standing over at the standing desk And so I wanted to be able to unplug and then replug and not, you know, not have to plug in more than one or two cables in order to get everything I want. The other thing that I really liked about them was that they offer the wired Ethernet port. And so I have the Belkin. It says it has two Thunderbolt ports on it, and that is true, but one of them is actually for your computer. So you really only get one extra Thunderbolt port off of it. I didn't see an HDMI on my Belkin, but I did get an HDMI port on the other one. And so when I get up from sitting down, I pull out two cables, and then when I go to stand up, I plug in one. And I'll put so, links to both of them in the show notes. The one with the HDMI on it was actually cheaper than the other setup. So
1: so he, here's the deal, though. Just so you know, that CalDigit is what you're talking about, I believe. And that one, no, all, all of... Oh, well, all the hubs, they only have one display adapter in them if they have any at all. So you can connect via HDMI or you can use a mini DisplayPort to HDMI adapter, but you still only get one monitor out on it because Thunderbolt is a serial connection where you have to daisy chain. Okay. And and each device will only have one display adapter.
2: All right. Anyway, I love mine. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, Joe, what are your picks? All right. So for my first pick, I'm going to pick the Kardashians.
4: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just couldn't
2: even do that with a straight face. Nobody could see that you were uh, not straight faced.
4: No, that's the great part about it is everybody's like, what in the, now I'm not picking the Kardashians. Instead, I'm going to pick a TV show called Derek. Uh, It was done by Ricky Gervais. It's on uh, BBC. It's you can actually grab it on Netflix and watch it on Netflix It's this awesome kind of like a dramedy. Ricky Gervais plays a like highly autistic, mentally challenged guy that works at an old folks' home. And the show is just about like life at the old folks' home and the people that work there and how life affects them, what it's like working there. And it's mixed in with a whole bunch of really, really crude and crass British humor. And so it's kind of touching. And at the same time, it's hilarious. So I'm going to pick Derek. And then I'm also going to pick the book Resonate, which was done by Nancy Duarte, I think is how you say her last name. And she's the same person who made the book Slideology. So if you ever do any kind of presentations of any kind, her two books are like, you know, the standard works for presentations and Resonate. Slideology is all about producing good quality visual presentations in your slides Whereas Resonate is all about making a great presentation altogether, uh, making something that resonates with the people. So rather than just doing a report, something boring, actually communicating effectively through some kind of a presentation. So that's my
2: other pick. All right, Aaron, what are your picks?
0: All right, I'm going to throw three picks out this time. I'm four books into this nine-book series. It's called The Iron Druid Chronicles. And if you haven't read it and you're looking for a cool series, this one's awesome. It's a 2000-year-old druid. He looks like he's 21. He's done everything right until the beginning of book 1 and it's it's a lot of fun. Like, the world is cool in the book. All the gods are real. Any god you've ever heard anyone mention is, that was a real thing. Bigfoot was real. Everything's real in this world. And he's met all of them. And like in book three, Jesus is like, don't kill Thor. It's like, it's, um, it's cool. I mean, it's a, it's a cool, 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 um, book series. So the Iron's Road Chronicles. My second pick is a library called PixieJS. It's a super simple to use two dimensional gaming engine. And I thought it was, I, th- I think it's super simple. I think it's it's really cool. So if you're looking to get into some gaming, PixieJS is, was actually really easy and a lot of fun. And then uh, I got this when I was at I.O. And I, I almost threw it away. I was like, this is dumb. Why did Google even do this? And they gave me this piece of cardboard. And I was like, this is dumb. And I almost threw it away. And then I pulled it out. And I use it, and it's it's amazing. It's costs you know, the cost, you can put them together for, like, less than two bucks. And it's like an Oculus Rift made out of cardboard. The View is your cell phone, though. And I put it in, and the demo apps, like, were as cool as the Oculus Rift I played. They were as cool as that. And... It just, like, it blew me away that you could have, like, this disposable Oculus Rift that, you know, if you owned a business of sorts, you could hand out to your peop- your clients for very, very cheap and, and, and have a cool, cool experience for them. And maybe it's just a marketing gimmick, but it's a really cool marketing gimmick. So I'm a huge fan of Google Cardboard as well.
2: Google Cardboard.
0: Yeah. That's what it's called. they call Some people call it Oculus Thrift. because uh, it's a cheap Oculus Rift that's really cool. You'll have to check it out.
2: All right. Joe, what are your picks?
0: You know what today is? Today
3: is the day when uh, OS X Yosemite beta publicly lands, Mm. and it's been uh, 30 years, another 30-year anniversary, since the Mac was first introduced during the Super Bowl in 1984. So my pick is going to be go watch the intro of the Mac ad on YouTube to remind yourself that it's been 30 years and help celebrate the launching of the Yosemite beta.
0: Cool. I will watch.
2: Awesome. It's also Pioneer Day here in Utah, so everybody on this show except Joe took time out of their holiday, basically, to do the show. So thanks for coming, everybody.
0: Yeah, thanks, man. Joe, thanks, Thanks for making it on such a short schedule, Joe. Hey, no
3: problem. I'm glad you guys had me on. And uh, you know, hopefully that's not the only time. But
4: hopefully this is the last uh guest named Joe. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> After the confusion of today, you'll likely be discriminated against. We'll need we'll need someone else on your team to come on. <laughs> yeah, here, here's another
2: reference. There can be only one.
0: That's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs>
4: <Hang> on. <laughs> you have to decide this in Mortal Kombat.
2: That's right.
4: <laughs> Finish him. <laughs>
0: Uh, which okay. one of
2: you is going to take the other's head? Right.
0: <laughs> I've met them both. I'm picking Marini. <laughs> Two devs enter, one dev leave.
2: This episode is brought to you by Code School. Code School offers interactive online courses in Ruby, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and iOS. Their courses are fun and interesting and include exercises for the student to level up your development skills. Go to JavaScriptJabber.com/slash/CodeSchool. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit cachefl com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber. And though you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests.